in God's love and truth, dear Christian friends. I've got my folder open to page 9 where the scripture uh, text is, the story, the parable of the weed and the weeds, wheat and weeds. And uh, love for you to do that too. We'll have it on the screen, but uh, if you have it there in front of you, it'll be nice when I refer to a couple verses while we're talking. He stood in the narthex, the lobby of the church. He'd been watching the news uh, all week, all day, all week, because he was retired. And tears were rolling down his cheeks. He got here early. Pastor, what's the world coming to? There's all those evil people that get to just keep living out their lives and harming others, and God just seems to, seems to tolerate it over and over, and it happens. And when is, will it all end? What, what is this? Another man, his same vintage, lying in his hospital bed, very active life, but now he's laid up. And so in the hospital room, he has the news on all day long. When I come to see him, it's like the whole world of trouble has been living in his hospital room. Tears streaming down to his pillow. What's the world coming to? What is this? Where, why is God letting all this happen? We, we all feel it at one time or another, and it's not because of the mega trends and the macro problems always. It's often because of someone did something to us, like they stole our identity or... Like what happened to me one time when they visited our neighborhood at four in the morning and it wasn't to say hello. They opened the back door of my pickup truck and took $500 worth of tools out, left the door open and drove away. No one ever found them. Uh, it happens when someone at work deals so treacherously with you, you lose your job. It happens when people gossip about you or you find out someone you dearly love is hurting your reputation. We, we get that sense of it's so unfair, it's so unjust. Why, if you, Lord, if you say I'm your special child, what gives? Why, why is this? What is this? Why is this evil going on? And I'm having to live right next to people who are hurting me. And Jesus says, sit down, I'll tell you a story. That's what he's doing. And he, he does it so masterfully that it will stick. It's sticky. That's what parables are. They're earthly stories with a heavenly meaning, but they're told the way they are, so they stick. So you don't forget them. You could, either, any one of you Christians who've heard this parable before could stand up here and tell it, just, and teach it just the way I am. We're going to read it. We're going to let him teach us why, what's up with this, and we're going to want to grow in spiritual wisdom so we stop just crying. I'm not saying don't cry, but I'm saying don't just cry, okay? Jesus told them another parable. The kingdom of heaven is like a man who sowed good seed in his field. Now, in this same day, telling these same parables, he, and, and, and in temple today, there's a pastor preaching on it. He told a parable of a sower with the seed, remember? And the sower sows the seed in all the different soils. That's in the same chapter, but this is a different parable. And the actual seed is not the word of God the way it is in the other one. It's something else. But while everyone was sleeping, his enemy came and sowed weeds among the wheat. 
and he went away. When the wheat sprouted and formed heads, then the weeds also appeared. The owner's servants came to him and said, Sir, didn't you sow good seed in your field? Where then did the weeds come from? An enemy did this, he replied. The servants asked him, Do you want us to go and pull them up? Right? I, for any of you that have ever watched one episode of that show that you probably shouldn't watch, Yellowstone, this just kind of reminds me of Rip. You want me to go take care of it? That's what the angel said. Let's just go get rid of those weeds, okay? No, he answered, because while you are pulling the weeds, you may uproot the wheat with them. Let both grow together until the harvest. At that time, I will tell the harvesters, first collect the weeds and tie them in bundles to be burned. Then gather the wheat and bring it into my barn. There's a gap there. That's verse 30. Look at the next verse. 36. When he told the parable, he did not explain it. He just left it there. Masterful, masterful for Jesus. He, he leaves them hanging. We should try that one Sunday where I just stand up or Pastor Eric stands up, tells a, a made-up story and just says amen. And then maybe says, meet me for coffee and Bible class and I'll explain the meaning of it. Right? The, it, it created a thirst in his disciples. Now, they'd been with him long enough to know they couldn't make any assumptions anymore about what he meant by things in his metaphors and his similes and his parables. They didn't want to get it wrong. Now, the parable that he just told about the sower, he explained. He said, the sower is, is uh, the Lord and the, the, word, the, the seed is the word of God and the soil is the hearts of people. But this one that's like, okay, is, is that what he's talking about? So it, it's got different elements to it. There's a guy that sows seed. There's an enemy that comes to sow seeds. The seeds grow and then there's a separation. What's that all about? So when he gets to the house, they get to Bible class and they say, Lord, can you explain this to us? We're not going to venture our own guess. What are you talking about? So this point you're trying to make sticks in our soul he left the crowd and he went into the house his disciples came to him and said explain to us the parable of the weeds in the field he answered the one who sowed the good seed is the son of man the field is not the church the field is the world and the good seed stands for the people of the kingdom Christians people who have faith in God and his righteousness, and Jesus, his son, the son of man, people of the kingdom, church people, you, me, us, we're in the world. The weeds are the people of the evil one, and the enemy who sows them is the devil. There is a war going on between God and the devil. I was talking to another pastor this week, maybe 10 pastors this week, that's my job. And, I, and, and he was bewildered that there, he was going through a trouble at his church. And I said, hey, we're in a war. We're not going to get out of the war until we get beamed up. So settle down and, hunt and, and, and put your head down and start swimming. You know? Right? We're in a war. Jesus says there's an evil one. And he sows evil in people's hearts. And he, they are his. Uh, later, the Apostle John would say, the whole world is under the sway of the devil. If you're not, it, those that are not believers. Until they convert, they are his seeds. 
planted in this world. They were created by God. God loves them, but right now they're committed to unbelief. These are the people of the evil one, and the enemy sows them as the devil. The harvest is the end of the age, and the harvesters are the angels. Even the angels in the parable are bewildered that the Lord would be patient. As the weeds are pulled up in the parable and burn in the fire, so it will be when? When? End of the age. Not today, not this week or this month, the end of the age, unless it comes now. The Son of Man will send out his angels and they will weed out of his kingdom everything that causes sin and all who do evil. People who, when the end came, were still without faith in God and his righteousness and still committed to selfishness. God will weed them all out, all of them. They'll be weeded out, just what you're hoping for. Get rid of the bad guys. They will throw them into the blazing furnace. We read that in the other readings, where there will be weeping and gnashing of teeth. Hell is real. It's not make-believe. It's all over the Bible. It's real. Then, then the righteous will shine like the sun in the kingdom of their Father. Whoever has ears to hear, let them hear. When the Lord says, whoever has ears to hear, let them hear, he's saying, this is one of those big, big truths you're supposed to hang your hat on. And when you're sitting there watching the news and you're starting to think that the God is asleep and something's going terribly wrong, you're supposed to listen to the parable with ears in your heart and mind and say, God's got this. And I am going to keep the faith and be one of his people and not fall into despair or cynicism because I trust God and his love and his plan and his bigger picture and his gospel. That's what Jesus, the son of man, who is the gospel, is saying when he says this parable. Now, I just want you to go back. I want you to go back to verse 29, and I want you to see the grace reason that God has not brought justice on some very evil people that are doing evil right now somewhere in the world. He says in the parable, the angels ask, should we go get them? He says, no, because while you are pulling the weeds, everybody read this out loud with me. You may uproot the wheat with them. You may uproot the wheat with them. The angels are not worthy to tell the difference between a believer and an unbeliever. And I'm just going to say, dear friend, if the angels who are not sinful are not capable of telling the difference, what makes you think you're so capable? (laughs) Right? Haven't you as a believer said some very unbelieving things or thought them or done them? What makes you so capable of thinking you can decide whether somebody's a believer or an unbeliever, that you could read their heart? What makes you, furthermore, what makes you and me so sure that we can tell if somebody's ever going to become a believer or not? My wife and I went to the same middle school and high school. We did not date until right after high school. 
I had a crush on her, but I had a crush on a couple of people. She didn't have a crush on me. <laughs> but we went to the same middle school. It was a pretty big middle school for that day. They're in Garland, Texas. We didn't know each other in grade school because we lived two miles apart, and the middle school was in the middle, and not, you know the elementary schools feed into it, right? Like, there's like 300 kids in our, our grade. We're the same age. We're only two days apart. There's this kid. We had, we, we, later on, as a dating couple and married couple talking about our growing up, we compared stories. There's a kid in our middle school that was notoriously mean. He was pretty big, not huge, pretty big and strong, but he was unwieldy. You know, those of you who have seen the movies, the Toy Story movies, you know that kid, Sid? This kid was 10 Sids. Stuff, mean stuff, gross stuff, scary stuff, threatening stuff, mind game stuff. He was just scary to be around. I'm not even going to say his name because I don't want you to go try to find him. But one day, because you know how Facebook has algorithms that have everybody connected to everybody in the high school you went to and all that kind of stuff. One day, it pops up on my Facebook. There he is. He's still alive on earth. Of course, I'm the preacher guy, I'm paging through, right? I found quotes from that guy talking about his faith in Jesus, his love for Jesus, and I thought, it's not fair. <laughs> I cannot read this parable without thinking of him. I went back and looked for him last night to see what's going on. Isn't that crazy? You've got those stories, right? You just believe, no way. Lord, just take them out now. We, they're bothering all of us. Just, they're hurting the world. Just get rid of them. He says, not until the end. Not until the end. Not until the end. You don't get to be that judge. I'll be that judge. Because I have a grace reason. I love the worst of sinners. Remember the Apostle Paul? He was one of those guys that was the worst of sinners. He knew he was later. He would say it to Timothy in his letter. I'm the chief of sinners, right? We have a hymn based on that verse of Paul. I'm the chief of sinners. God loves the chief of sinners. And he can convert them. Um, here's another thing. If there's not room enough for that middle school friend of mine or the chief of sinners, even we've had this in sermons before for you, even a, like a mass murderer, then there's not room for you and me. And let me experientially explain that. The middle school that I re referenced, just the way it was, was right next door to my Missouri Synod Lutheran Church I grew up going to. I mean, right next door. So in middle school, you know what kids do to resolve conflict in middle school? They fight after school. All my three years of middle school, I would hear in the hallways, and I would sometimes go and watch fights in my church yard behind the church. Right? That's the middle school I went to. So I got church and school all mixed together, but there's no Christian day school for me. And I, to, to, in my own selfishness, I learned how to live a double life. And high school 
people are good at this, period, but high schoolers are really great at it. You live one life with your parents and your church, whatever, and you live a whole other life at school that's kind of selfish and rambunctious and acting like an unbeliever. And I did that most of high school. I was fully involved in both. When I went to my 10-year high school reunion, I was a vicar with a wife and two beautiful little boys. And we happened to be back in Texas, so I was able to go to it. And the first day was a social and a mixer and a meal. And the second day, you filled out a card on all the people you saw there. And you had special funny awards, you know. And then the next day, we had another, like a banquet and a dance. And then they announced the award winners. You know what I got? And I was not a super well-known kid, necessarily. We graduated with 500 kids. Only 150 were at the reunion. 10-year reunion. You know what my award was? Most Changed Male Award. I'm sure it's because as we walked around the mixer, they go, what are you doing? Oh, well, I'm a, almost a pastor. I'm, I'm an assistant at a congregation. They're like, if God can do that, he can do anything, right? You know why I'm telling you that? It's because God sees the person in the heart and the life and the plan that he has for all people. You don't see that. You don't. So you can't judge that. And, there's, and if there's not room enough for the kid I grew up with, there's not room enough for me either. And there's not room enough for you if there isn't room for us. You are the weed that God turned into wheat. You didn't do it on your own. It was all part of his plan and his grace and his mercy to invade your life with the good news of Jesus Christ and change who you are and make you the most changed you and you could win that award somewhere just like anybody else but if you're thinking will justice ever come right the world rushes judgmentally toward justice that's what these shows like Yellowstone are all about that's what songs are about, the justice, get hanging from the tallest oak tree, and all of, some of you know some of those lyrics, we're going to send Rip, and he's going to go take care of this, revenge, whatever, man-made justice. It's all out there, right? And it's all a part of the stories that we hear in shows and movies and all that stuff. All the Westerns is that way, right? Deliverance, is, they're all that way. But God is about mercy and grace, but he says, you know what? First Peter, second Peter, I read it, three. I'm not slow, I'm not weak. I've got a plan to save people. I want people to come to repentance. He, he waited so Don would quit being that hypocrite that he was. And he's waiting for others too. But justice is coming. Did you catch it in the parable? Gather them up and do what with them? Put them in the fire. And what will it be like? Oh, it'll just be a little warm. No, it'll be weeping and gnashing of teeth. It'll be eternal suffering for the unbelief that they sustain their entire life. There's justice coming. I told you it's in Malachi's uh, uh, prophecy as well. You can see it all over. So with this in mind, that he's patient and loving and, and working his plan to let the gospel is holding back the justice of God, as it converts people and saves the beloved of the Lord, the elect, how should we live? How should we take the parable? 
And I've, I've spent a week trying to figure out a way to say it so you could remember it for at least a week. Wait for justice, but put love to work. Quit putting justice to work. Trying to get even, trying to cry out for someone to make it right. Love your enemies. Put love to work. Show them Jesus. Be part of the movement to save souls rather than to save your situation. Put love to work. And I'll close with this. A story of putting love to work. Some of you have heard me tell this story before, like most of mine, but some of you are new to here and you haven't heard it. It's one of my favorite pastor stories. It's about a pastor who was in San Antonio and had a little girl who's now grown up named Karis, which means grace. She's a soccer player at the time. And he, as pastor, hosted the soccer party at the end of the season and his backyard. So he's got a play set, you know, where kids crawling all over it. And he's, he's barbecuing just hamburgers and hot dogs for the kids. There's a minimal number of parents. Some of them just dropped them off. His kids are all playing around the play set. His back is to the play set. And he hears his daughter scream out crying. And he turns toward the play set, and one of the boys from the team, it was a co-ed team, has her arm as high as he can pull it up on her back, and he's just pulling it to get at her to make her scream and cry. Now, you want to watch a pastor come unglued and not be a pastor. He shouts, stop it! And the boy hears the, his coach and the pastor's voice, and he drops his daughter's arm down, and she cries and runs over to daddy. And he said, everything inside of me, he's, he's telling us the story in one of his sermons, everything inside of me wanted to go over and get even on that little kid that I'd been coaching and he'd been a brat the whole year. And he had, I had all that anger and all that judgment and I was ready in my heart, but I knew the only thing that kept me back was the fear of God that I'd be in trouble. And he said, I knelt down by my little girl and I'm wiping out the tears and I'm saying, and, and he said, I was, I was thinking, how do you tell a little girl to hit a boy? you know, to defend herself. And he said, he said, honey, I need to tell you something. And he's trying to gather his thoughts. She goes, I know daddy, I know daddy. He doesn't know Jesus. <laughs> and he said, my heart just sank. What a beautiful, beautiful testimony of Christ's love in Chorus, grace. I'll love him, I forgive him. I'll put love to work while I, what? Wait for justice at the end. Amen.